0: Hello and welcome to episode 22 of series 4 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. First of all, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone who's been reaching out to us to offer to be a guest on the show. We're always great for, grateful for people who want to be on the show, who are looking to uh, be be an interviewee. So if you are interview interested in that, please do drop us a line. Uh, we'll get back to everybody who's been in touch with us. Um, the easiest way to contact us is, is info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk if you are interested. We do have interviews now recorded pretty much up to the end of this series, up to the end of 2023. So if you do want to be on the show, it's probably going to be in the next series, in Series 5, which we're going to be putting out in uh, in 2024. But we already have quite a, a long list of people who we are speaking to about Get being guests so if you do want to be on the show you'll just have to be patient and again thank you for those of you who have reached out and offered to be an interviewee um, okay what have we got coming up then in the next couple of episodes on the 24th of october we have an episode going out with an in- which is an interview with richard nugent richard is has been on the show before Richard is from 21 Leadership, and he's going to be telling us all about The Alignment Advantage, which is a book that he has just written recently, which is all about how organisations can align their strategy, their culture, and their customer experience. Really, really good book. Fantastic uh, theories, ideas, concepts, very usable ideas in there that Richard's got, so I thoroughly recommend that one. And then coming up on the 7th uh, of November, I have the an interview with Jen Sproul from at, who is from the IOIC and Susanna Holton, who is from Ipsos Carrion and Box. and uh, Jen's been on the show at least a couple of times probably this is a third or fourth appearance on the show uh, Jen is the s- chief exec of the IOIC and we're going to be looking at the recent survey that uh, recent report that has come out of the survey that, that the IOIC and Ipsos carrion and box have put together which is all about what our employees think of internal communication so we're going to be summarising some of the findings of that report if you've not already seen it uh, and going through some of the uh, some of the lessons that we can take from that as employee engages and internal communicators. so i think you'll find that a fascinating episode so yes that's, that's 7th of november for the jen sproul and susanna Holton episode so that's it for now that's all we've uh, we're, all i'm going to cover off in this introduction and uh, we'll move straight into this episode's interview <music> Imagine you work in an organization or an industry where success is measured on very fine margins, not only seconds, but fractions of seconds will define what performance and good performance looks like. And also imagine that it's vitally important that everybody in the organization knows how they contribute towards that performance. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the world of Formula One. Now, some of you may not be interested in Formula One. It may be something that you are uh, you're, you 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 kind of watch occasionally or aware of. Um, but it, it's actually a fantastically interesting industry because now Formula One teams are employing thousands of people and they have all of the routine and mundane challenges that we have in our own organisation when it comes to communication and what we're communicating about. But what organisations, or Formula One organisations have is that ruthless focus on performance and driving performance and making sure everyone understands their their contribution. So that's what we're going to be exploring in today's interview. We have a guest with unique experience, more than 25 years of working in in some of the best Formula One teams, most high-performing Formula One teams, teams that have carried Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button to their world championships. And our guest is going to be telling us all about the challenges of communicating and keeping internal communications going in that sort of environment. But particularly as those teams have grown over the last 20 years or so, from small teams of around 300 people to now employing more than 2,000 people in multiple sites across the world. We'll talk about that evolution as well and how that that internal communications and employee engagement challenge has evolved. So that's what today's interview is all about. It's how internal communications... communications can learn from the world of high performance. My guest today is Nicole Byrne. Nicole is a member of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, the Institute of Internal Communications and is an accredited PR practitioner. Nicole is also former head of internal communications at Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula One team. With responsibility for internal communication, events and company CSR programs at this world championship winning team, Nicole has, an ex- has experience in internal comms in a high performance industry. Hello, Nicole. How are you?
1: Yes, good. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for inviting me to the show today.
0: It's an absolute pleasure, and as a self-confessed Formula One fan, it's always—it's always—I always uh, always find it fascinating to speak to people who've uh, who've worked in in the industry. But not only in Formula One, but obviously internal communications, which is why we've got you on on the show today. So, whereabouts are you, Nicole? Whereabouts in in the world are you, just for our listeners?
1: Uh, so I'm based in Brackley, um, which is uh, where the Mercedes Formula One team is also located, um, and it's a, a very small town on the North Oxfordshire, Northamptonshire border in England, in the UK. Um, so yeah, that's where I am today.
0: Fab, excellent. And I said you were former former head of internal comms at Mercedes AMG Petronas. Uh, t- tell us what you what you what are you up to now? What what's uh, what what is your world working working world revolve around at the moment, Nicole?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, yes, I was uh, head of internal comms at Mercedes-AMG Petronas until uh, the end of May this year. Um, and then I set up my own uh, small consultancy looking at internal comms and employee experience uh, called the comms exchange. And uh, so I've been uh, building that up over the last couple of months as well and working on some projects for some clients. So it should be uh, it's all very exciting stuff
0: yeah fantastic excellent and uh and and and, and yeah and 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 a, and a big and a big transformation for you as well so uh, so yeah so it's, and we would I know we've been chatting about that so so yeah fantastic um so i know when we had the our pre uh, pre-interview conversation a few weeks ago we had, a, we had a really really fascinating conversation and and you've worked you've been working in formula one for for, for i think uh, up until more recently as you've just said it for about 25 years and you've worked for four different formula one teams in various different incarnations so so lots of uh, 25 years summarize your 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 formula one history and also how you ended up in internal comms in formula one as well which is i i guess uh you, you know i guess people are thinking internal comms in formula one how does that work so yeah so tell us a little bit about that 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 history so those those sort of f1 uh, fans or people who haven't some knowledge of f1 can kind of position your, your history but then also how you then how you transition to uh internal comms please nicole
1: yeah sure i mean it's a very long story <laughs> but i'll try and give you a sort of potted version um so yeah i didn't set out to work in formula one originally um i used to enjoy watching it on tv as a kid with my dad um and i followed the sport for a number of years um but sort of back in those days i think it very much seemed like it was a, a, you know, a sport for the boys as mm. it were, you know, were the drivers and the mechanics and the engineers were all male and the teams were a lot smaller than they are nowadays. And they weren't just sort of such a wide range of roles as there are, I think, in a Formula One team nowadays. So it didn't strike me as something that you could do as a career. Um And also, I didn't get on very well with maths at school, so (laughs) engineering was very, very not. It was definitely not the career that I was looking at. Um, So yeah, I think in those sort of days, you know, you didn't become a a mechanic unless you were, I don't know, Charlene from Neighbours or something.
2: Um,
1: (laughs) For those who are as old as I am, Um, but I was, I was good at languages, and so I studied French and German at school, and then went on and I did a degree in Russian and linguistics at university. Um, and that led me to spend um, four years living in Moscow, uh, working at the British Embassy and the British Council um, in Moscow in the early 1990s. Um, and then I moved back to the UK in 94 and uh, took a job working as um, a PA to the boss of the first private Russian um, oil trading company.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and that's where I really got my first experience of going to a Formula One race. My boss at the time wanted to take some of his um, business buddies to a sort of for a VIP day out to the British Grand Prix. Um, and he asked me to make some arrangements and go along with them to manage the day for them. And of course, you know, in those days, uh, money, money was no object for the Russian oil companies. So we we flew into Silverstone on a helicopter and had the best hospitality and the best seats on the start finish line and you know I watched Damon Hill win the British Grand Prix Mm. and I was hooked I just loved it Uh, Mm. the atmosphere Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go back again uh, for a couple of years after that um, just as a spectator Um, and then I just started watching the other races on television and You know, subscribing to the Formula One magazines and getting to know about the teams and the personalities and the drivers, and um, and just got got into it as a fan, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just before Christmas uh, '97, the Russians that I was working for closed the London office, and um, I got made redundant. Um, So I decided to take a month off over Christmas and look for a new job in the new year. And then in the January, I. Got the uh, the London Evening Standard newspaper um, turned to the job section at the back and first thing I saw was an advert for a PA to the team principal of a brand new Formula One team called British American Racing. Mm. Um, so the timing was perfect. <laughs> I was mm. looking for a job. They were looking for a PA. Um, so that's how I got into Formula One. Um, so originally I started as the PA to the team boss. Um, and then, uh, developed the sort of internal comms from that really. Um, I spent a, a, a couple of years, um, in the early two thousands, uh, working with, within the comms team or being part of the comms team as the press officer. Um, so, uh, traveling to, uh, races and tests and looking after media relations and trackside communications. Um. Then, when my my son came along in two thousand and three, I moved back into a sort of factory based role. Right. Um, spent a couple of years doing IT and finance admin around the factory and learning about how the business side of things works. Um, and then uh, and all that time continuing to sort of do the internal comms as a bit of a sort of side side role, yeah. I suppose. Um, there wasn't a specific function for it, and I also looked after the team's um charity work local community work um and then in 2007 i became personal assistant again to um the new team boss who's a gentleman called ross braun uh, who joined the team as the team principal um and i was his ea through the sort of year when the team um became braun gp Mm. and we won our first world championship um, and then I continued right the way through looking after the sort of internal comms, even though I didn't have that title, I was sort of writing all the leadership communications and organizing town halls and managing team events and things like that. So when Ross left the team at the end of 2013, I then split my role and officially took on a sort of 50% role as internal comms manager, yeah. um, looking after, a, a, a the technical director at the same time as his EA. Yeah, Um, and then when he left the team at the end of 2016, I then uh, moved permanently into the marketing communications team as head of internal comms. Right, and uh, and had the remit to look after all of the internal comms, employee events, employee rewards, um, CSR, and charity work, and I did that for a few years. Wow, so it's a bit of a roundabout route.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and and thank you, and well done. Twenty five years in in whatever whatever that was about four minutes is is uh, is tremendously well done, and and uh, yeah, thank you, and uh, no, and and um, you know, as I say, as a sort of self confessed Formula One fan, you know, some of those names that you mentioned there, Ross Brawn, and and that era where you know again, even if people aren't F one fans, they'll have heard of Jensen Button and that amazing year when he won the world championship. And then obviously now into the Mercedes era where, um, you know Lewis Hamilton. I guess uh, even if you you never heard of Formula One, you'll have heard of Lewis Hamilton. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So they are they sort of um, iconic names within the sport, especially within the UK. But I think Lewis
0: you know, yeah, is a global, a global, global uh, superstar. Really. Absolutely. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so that 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 so and, and I guess what we've picked up from that com what that that, that very 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 um, very good summary was was that evolution as well not only for you and in that kind of you know um sort of pa and then starting to pick up a little bit of internal comms and then through to 50 50 and then fully dedicated to, to kind of marcoms and communications is that evolution and i guess it, it, during that period i guess the the team you, you the team the teams that you were involved with um you, there was an evolution there in terms of sophistication and because i think when you mentioned I mean even back in the the days when you took Damon Hill winning races there was still a kind of a you, you know it was the, the sort of um the, 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 I can't remember what they call it now, but the kind of you know the sort of the, the gentleman racer sort of uh, teams that they were back then you know a kind yeah. of a, 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 an engineering outfit rather than what they are now which is a which is a kind of you know full of very sophisticated businesses i I guess you've seen that some of that transition in, in your career as well.
1: Yeah, I mean it has changed a lot. I think when we first set up the team back in sort of nineteen ninety nine, there were probably three hundred people. Yeah, um, and uh, and nowadays, you know, an F one team will be upwards of a thousand people. Mm. Mm. Um, and you know, Mercedes has has two separate. Uh, manufacturing and design um, factories based in two parts of the UK, based Northamptonshire, mm. um, and that probably totals, I would say, a workforce of around two thousand four hundred. Wow! Um, both on the sort of uh, operational and and chassis side um, in Brackley, and then. The engine power unit side up at Brixworth. So mm-hmm. it, they are much, much more professional organisations um than they were twenty five years ago. They are more business focused. Um and the budgets I think have, you know, have increased
2: mm.
1: quite considerably mm. um over that time as well. So uh, yeah so they're much, much different organisations.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I guess the the the, the challenges of, of of going from a, a a business or an organ any organisation, regardless of Formula One or or, or any any industry, from three hundred to two thousand plus brings with it all of those growing pains and and all of the necessity to have you know, a good internal comms team and, pe- and and people involved in that. So, so, so can you just give us a quick flavor again, you know, leading into the kind of more into the internal comms angle on this is that organization of, of, you know, a thousand, two thousand people because obviously again, and people who probably watch formula one every now and again, or just a brief passing awareness of it will think, well, there's just, you know, a couple of drivers and, bunch of people at the track and maybe a few people to drive the lorries to get the to and from there's 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 obviously you know i'm I'm sure people realize it's more sophisticated that there's a huge pyramid of of people below the kind of people Mm -hmm. we see every other week who are absolutely vital for this business and and for the organization like any business tend to maybe feel, you know, not, are the ones that are sometimes the more difficult to kind of keep on board and, and engaged, or right? even in, a, in, a, in an organization like yours, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So so I guess it comes with all of the challenges of a, of a business of that size, regardless of what industry you're in, yeah?
1: Absolutely. I mean, mm. I think, you know, one of the people that I worked with a very, very long time ago when I first joined a Formula One team um, said to me, well, we might as well be making washing machines.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, because for the
1: vast majority of people in the factory, they never travel to races. Mm-hmm. So they're effectively designing and building a product. Um, and that's what a Formula One team is. It's basically a high precision engineering company. Mm-hmm. It just has a sort of a racing team at its core. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and the team at the track that you see is is really just the tip of the iceberg. It's only about 10% of the whole company that actually mm-hmm. go to races. Mm-hmm. Um, And the rest of the company are involved in that product design. So it has R&D, it has manufacturing facilities, inspection, proof testing, assembly, um, you know, in the way that you would have with any other product. It's Mm -hmm. just that that product gets handed over to a group of mechanics and engineers who then take it to race at a racetrack. Mm -hmm. Um, So sitting alongside that sort of operation you've then got all of the standard functions you would find in any other company so finance hr marketing communications it Mm. services for the facilities um legal um there's that's all you know as you would find in any other organization Mm. Mm. um i guess uh and within Formula One teams nowadays, most of them have also got a sort of client division as well, which takes on some customer work. Um, so at Mercedes F One, they have the applied science division, and they work on external products for and projects for for other organisations. Mm. Um, so you know there is an element of a sort of client consultancy work as well.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: Um, so, yeah, so in terms of actually how you're working with that organization you know you've got you've got a, a very diverse organization some of them are traveling mm. um but the rest of them are factory based across a number of different shifts um in the manufacturing space um you've got office based personnel um you've got hybrid working, we've got fully remote teams mm. in places like Malaysia with Petronas um who manage look after the uh, the oil and fuel for the car uh, we've got people in australia and singapore working for us so um it's a very sort of diverse organisation lots mm. of international uh, team members from different countries
2: mm.
0: And I guess with all comes, up, you know the 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 mundane activities associated with being in a part of a bit of a big organization every day. You know, and not, not everything is all about how many, uh, you know, how 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 fast the lap was at the last uh, uh, testing session or last qualifying session. There's, there's there's other things going on which are just typical that you'd find in any other business. I guess.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, mm. I think the main. I suppose the main difference between mm. a formula one team and a, and a normal company mm. is is the price the pace of the the product development yeah um yeah. and the fact that you know the, the organization whilst it is an engineering company and has all of the processes and uh and procedures and um systems in place that an engineering company will have it has the mentality of a sports team as well
0: yeah yeah.
1: Um. So, it, it operates like an engineering company, but it thinks like a football team or a rugby team. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. So it has to be it has to be able to respond to rapid change. It has to be quite tough in terms of um the sort of resilience of the organisation to to change, and and it has to be agile and innovative. Mm. Um. And it's also you know it's a high it's a high profile environment as well, which yeah. can can contribute a certain amount of pressure as well. So. You know, whereas most engineering companies may make a product change and they've got a lead time to lead into it, and they know that the change is coming and they will plan it. Um, within a Formula One team, you may have to react overnight mm. to something that's happened at track, or mm. you know, in a, in a sort of a competitive environment. Mm. Um, so that can that can make things uh, slightly more interesting. Yeah, for people yeah. Like in the factory,
0: yeah. No, and that 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 transitions nicely into what I want to talk about next, which are, which is is you know what what are some of those lessons and what are some of the things that that uh, organisation. I know and I know it's difficult because all you've known for the last twenty five years or the majority of the last twenty five years is is that environment and and mm-hmm. and I guess I know when I've uh, I've been. You know, I've, I've been out of corporate life myself for, for 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 a lot longer now, sort of for fourteen years or so. But I know the company I worked at. Even now, I assume that you know companies did this do the same things that we did back then. And it's not always the case. I think when you've worked somewhere. It is a, a you know we've got a really high performance culture. It's very you know you kind of think well every organisation has that, so it's t- difficult sometimes to be kind of objective. So so I mean what do you what do you think some of the things because that's the thing that really fascinates me and what I wanted to talk about is that that kind of high performance culture, how that translates into how you communicate to each other and that kind of those I guess some of it links obviously to the values and the people you've recruited in the first place and that kind of ethos and that kind of winning mentality, but. But but what 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 could we take from that, and what could someone who's listening to this, who maybe well, highly unlikely, they work in another Formula One team, you know, working in a different type of organization, pick up on on, on that on that kind of cultural of communications, the speed that you have to make decisions, and how that then translates into, you know, your communications, but also the sort of the culture of the company as well. Sorry, I see a lot of things. Yeah, there, but yeah, but yeah. I think you go. Hopefully, you understand where I'm going. Yes. But yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think to start with, I, I would say that there are some parallels with other organisations, and that you know, communication is is basically critical. It's key mm. in in any organisation, mm. um, and in a Formula One team. Um, the car is is a product, unlike in, in any other company, I guess, is, mm. is a product of very of, of 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 contributions from many different areas of the yeah. organization, and they will need to work together.
2: Yeah,
1: um, because if the team doesn't collaborate, then you know success doesn't happen on track. Effectively, mm. at the end of the day, um, so I think with within any, any organization and Formula One teams are the same. You know, the the, the it's very important that there are some clear guidelines that Mm. people know where they're sort of aiming for um and that um they they have a very clear vision um so you know it in any organization i think every team it just needs to have that that mm. the goal that purpose that north star that it's aiming for so the first thing is really leadership establishing that direction for the organization mm. um and with support from internal communications making sure that they can clearly articulate that as well yeah um and then how that gets woven into you know the the, the team's culture and the team's um vernacular across across the the year effectively so i mean the way that it works at Mercedes, um, was that, you know, in January of each year, the the leadership team would have an offsite and would formulate this, what they call a statement of intent, mm. which was basically the sort of mission for the year, the purpose about sort of how we're going to achieve the goals that we're looking to achieve this year. Mm. Um, and then that would be translated into from the kind of overarching company intent down into a court kind of department level intent and, and then into individual objectives for the year. Mm. Um, and that really then became the narrative for internal comms for the, for the season. Mm. So we would then weave that across um, all the channels, various touch points. It would become the sort of marker for individual and team performance reviews. Um, it would, we pull it into the quarterly state of the nation briefings, um, picking up, you know, elements of it in articles and mm. um, across our digital and communications channels, and it just really guides the stories that the internal comms are telling around mm. the team internally, and then that also guides external communication as well. What you see in the social media and what we're seeing, you know, in in the team interviews that they the key people are giving it the yeah. track it's all making sure that all of the language all of the um references all of the statements that people are making are all connected back to that overall intent mm. just so that we're making sure we're giving people a really clear line of sight how, into how each individual contributes to the overall performance of the team mm. um, or you know in a case of a formula one team that's the car on the track mm. um so that's, I think, one of the b- the biggest points, really. Yeah. That, that where Formula One connects, and I see, I see that within you know other organisations, we talk a lot about having that purpose, but the question is how how does that purpose get communicated? Mm-hmm. And it is a really um, mindful process, I suppose, to just try and make sure that, that that purpose is really embedded into the into the whole culture of the organisation, mm-hmm. and people really understand. You know why they are doing what they are doing and they are able to be proud of their contribution um because that then gives a sense of you know the empowerment and and the ownership and the responsibility to to want to try and improve
2: mm.
0: Mm. i really like that and and again it reminds me back to my kind of corporate days where I, again i worked in a, an American multinational you know a company I, i'm still proud that i work for and and, and i know we had that uh, philosophy there of every at the beginning of every year we would set out our kind of strategic goals and that kind of was a cascade down from the kind of corporate goals because we were a kind of a a, a, a department or a, or a or a or a site within the within a broader structure but then we would make sure that we had what we call our you know it was very it was very kind of I don't, know, I don't know. must win battles was was the terminology we mm-hmm. used, but it was basically four or five things that we, you know, we are focused on this year uh, in achieving, and make sure that everybody in the in the manufacturing facility knew that they were our must win battles, and again, make sure that we talked about them on a regular basis about how we're progressing against those, and make sure everybody understands their role in delivering them, and and I think again, it, it, it's it's great to hear what you're saying there because i think that is something that organizations can do i mean we we work with a lot of clients and see a lot of clients and hear a lot of sort of people talking about you know we've got this these goals and these ambitions but never really help break it down into those sort of strategic kind of um elements that everybody can contribute towards it it kind of stays at a pretty vague level and obviously i think something like formula one there are many different ways of measuring success, but it's it's a lot more visible than yeah. and obvious than than a lot of organizations. For some some organizations, it's it's often a bit more um, ambiguous about because they've got multiple different ways of defining success. And with, yeah. with F one, it, it it is you know I guess for some teams, it's not realistically going to be winning every race or even a race a season, but it's going to be making progress towards being, being better and more competitive, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, we used to talk about, um, you know, how does each individual team member contribute their 10th of a second of performance? Yeah. Car. Yeah. Um, and you know, a 10th or a hundredth of a second, um, makes a big difference in formula one. So yeah. everybody would be able to say, and, and we ran, you know, we used to do interviews with our team members and we used to run a series called meet the team and um in each of those interviews we would we would ask everybody you know so so how does your role contribute Mm. to the success of the car on track and i never met anybody who couldn't clearly articulate Mm. exactly how they contributed to the overall success of the car yeah um whether they were you know in site services or whether they were in a performance center coach in the gym or whether they were you know um, somebody in the marketing team everybody had a really clear understanding of exactly what they were doing what they Mm. were contributing to the overall um, success of the team Mm. Um, and that I think was something that that comes from that cascade of of, you know those really clear um, statements of of intent across the year
0: yeah Yeah. And it's not just good performance management. It's like, it's fantastic employee engagement, isn't it? If you, if you can articulate that and you know, you're part of something bigger and you're contributing, it's just, for me, it's, if you haven't got that, then, you know, well, we'll, how do do I know what I'm meant to be doing? And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And
1: also it, it, it contributes to the, to the, to that sort of sense of empowerment, Mm. I think that people have, you know, one of the kind of core pillars, I guess, of of employee engagement, of intrinsic motivation is really ensuring that people feel empowered Mm. to innovate, to create, to bring their ideas. And if people believe that they are contributing to the success of the organization by doing that, um, then it really reinforces that and enables them to continue to, you know, feel that as well.
2: Mm, Brings that sort of
1: sense of ownership, that sense of responsibility.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, just, just conscious of time, and I just want to kind of this one area I'd like to other next area I'd like to explore with you. So, so I know you're you you you've you've said you know you're you're now um, you've got your own business, and you you're focusing on helping. Or other organizations to, to learn you know to to tap into your 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 expertise and your your background in building happy high-performing teams mm-hmm. um you know through in good internal comms and, and great ex- employee experience so I, i'd like to know a little bit more about that but one area i'd like to talk to you about because again this is something that resonated for me when we spoke before was this idea of of alumni uh and and again uh, for some for people who aren't familiar with the idea and i'm i'm familiar with this from my Previous corporate experiences, this idea that that, that um, people leave organisations. That's a natural part of 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 life and 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 business, and and people move on to do other things. But this sense that. It's almost like the follow through of a of, of a kind of a of a tennis stroke, isn't it? Is that that it doesn't the, the way we the way we look after the people who are alumni of organisations mm-hmm. and communicate with them and treat them as, as as you know just because they don't work for us anymore doesn't mean that we we don't have that connection with them. I know that's something that's really important to you and 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 not just the only thing that you're focusing on, but one of the things that we we kind of uh, definitely resonated when we, when we spoke. Do you just want to tell yeah. a little bit more about your work now, but also that that principle of, of having a great alumni network and why it's important for organizations to think about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I'll start with my aim with the Comms Exchange really is, is just to help companies to take a bit of a holistic look at the experiences that their employees have every day that they come into work um, and then put some steps in place to ensure that those experiences are the best they can possibly be Mm. um and so that starts with you know the very first interaction that a potential employee might have with your brand for example you know what messages are they seeing how are you communicating externally and then on through Their experience with the application process, the recruitment process, to you know, onboarding. Again, how is that all communicated? Mm. What impressions are you giving people? And are they are they learning the things about your organization that you need them to understand? Um, and ensuring that that they also understand the purpose of the organization, how they can contribute to it. Um that tenth of a second. Mm. Um, so there are some foundations i think within any organization that need to be in place for that to happen um, and for people to have that experience Um, and there are these sort of key touch points moments i guess on on every employee journey throughout an organization um, and through their sort of life cycle with that company where internal communication makes a really big difference by just connecting people to the purpose of the organization the Mm -hmm. information flow within it um, connecting them to each other as a community, um, and those are the moments that matter. I suppose, if mm. you, t- you know to coin a phrase that, that people use quite frequently, um, those is those moments, and they can be ch- you know they can be moments of challenge. They can be moments of change. Um, it could be moments where you know people have been rewarded with promotions. People may take t- sabbaticals parental leave, all of those really key moments is it's looking at how the company is communicating with those people at that point um, so that you can then map those moments, understand them and, and put strategies in place to make sure that they are managed, you know, really, really well. Mm. Um, so uh, talking about the alumni, that I, I, my feeling is that doesn't stop when people leave the company. Mm. Um, so, you know, both your employees and your leavers are future ambassadors for your brand um and and you know at, at our adverts as you, for your company as a potential employer and so you know the better their offboarding experience and and their overall experience of the time that they spent with your organization the i think the more likely they are to rec- recommend you to others mm. um we often talk about uh, within employee engagement surveys we talk about the employer net promoter score mm. it's you know how how likely are you to recommend this company is a great place to work. Um, It's also looking at how likely people would be to return to your company if you decided that you wanted to get, you know, hire them back later on in their career. Um, So, it's building that pipeline, I think, of people who have felt valued and have enjoyed the experience that they've had with your organization. Um, And so, treating people well when they leave I think is is as important as how well you treated them when they Mm -hmm. worked for you. And so I think many, as you said, many organizations realize this. And there are, you know, lots of um, organizations who've now set up alumni networks for their leavers. So Coca-Cola, I know, LinkedIn, Google, Mm -hmm. JP Morgan, I think all have these alumni networks. Um, And it's really just about connecting and keeping that connection with the alumni have who've who've moved on um but also connecting them with each other as well because there's something about having that shared sense of you know connection of being having having worked Mm. somewhere with someone else may help you to build your own network moving forward when you leave that organization as Mm. well Mm. um so you know mercedes we always used to do some little things like if if people left during a championship winning year um we always made sure that they received the same gifts or mementos that mm. the team members, uh, you know, the current team members yeah. were given at the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, because the leavers had contributed to that championship win in the same way that they, the current team members had. And, and so therefore they should also receive the recognition. Mm. Mm. Um, and we often saw people, you know, posting on social media when they received their sort of little championship memento, just saying that you know mercedes would always be their formula one team and they always would always feel part of that mm, team mm. Uh, even though they left it yeah. um and that's the kind of um takeaway i think you'd want people to take away from any organization so so it's yeah. just thinking about how how you keep connected with those people
0: yeah no and, and i think it, it just shows a a really you know, it's a, for me. It's really classy <laughs> when when you hear that organizations do that. That the, the, the you, you know not not just obviously in that you know that kind of winners medal type approach, yeah. but but also that 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 you've you've paid a part in our our success. You know whether that was you know recently or or in the past, and therefore we value you. Just kind of really paints the picture for the people who are there now about how we value our people it's not you know it's not we're not treating you as a disposable resource uh but we, we you you are truly contributing to our our organization i think that, that you know it, it, it transcends durations of employment doesn't it so i, yeah. I totally agree with you and, and it's really really important so you know i think if anybody's listening to this and hasn't got some sort of alumni it doesn't you know it doesn't need to be overly sophisticated it can just be you know we meet up a week once a year and we have a coffee and we jump oh, yeah. jump onto a Teams call, and we find out what people are up to, and we kind of just talk about what we're doing in our business. Still, if you're interested, that sort of thing, I think it's
1: exactly. I think universities do it very well. I don't know if anybody's ever been a a university student; it probably gets emails from their alumni association, periodically. Yeah, and it you know keeps you connected to the news of what's happening within the organization. Yeah, Yeah. um connects you to the opportunities. You know, you may you may have left as a, a junior team member or a junior employee, but you've gone on. You've you've you know built your career a bit and you're thinking well actually I'd quite like to go back there you know again you you might be a potential candidate for a job in the future so there are all these different um reasons why I think it's a really a really worthwhile activity and you know at the end of the day it's a very um simple way of connecting a potential um you know a really great network of ambassadors for your organization
0: absolutely 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 well that's been absolutely fantastic, Nicole. Thank you so much for for your time. So, if anybody um, listening to the to, to this, and I'm sure they do now, are thinking about you know their equivalent of of uh, of uh, their employees adding a taking a tenth off the, uh, the the lap time of their organization, whatever that lap time metaphor is, how can they find out more about what you're up to, uh, Nicole, and maybe reach out to you and, and connect with you if if uh, if, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm always happy to connect. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. um, or you can check out the website, um, which is www.coms-exchange.com
0: brilliant and i'll put some i'll put a link into both of those into the uh, the show notes which is uh, on our website if you're listening to this uh, on iTunes if you if you go to engagingic.com find this episode we will put those links in the show notes so you can you don't have to try and remember them or write them down while you're running or driving or wherever you're listening to the podcast so that's uh, that's fantastic nicole well look thank you so much Nicole all the best with your with your uh, your new your new adventure and I'm sure you. You, you you'll be uh, you're gonna you are are and will be very busy for the foreseeable future with that and and all of this experience and knowledge that you've got is uh, is highly desirable I think in, and certainly in a lot of the organizations we work with uh, they need someone like you to, to help them to kind of focus on these these areas so um, that that's absolutely brilliant thank thank you so much for, for, for offering to share your time i know i uh i kind of uh, hijacked you via linkedin because mm-hmm. i'd seen your post and wanted to wanted to speak to you but thank you nicole and and uh, i wish you all the very best
1: thanks craig no it's been brilliant great fun thank Lovely you to speak to you
0: thank you We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services our big pictures our learning maps our explainer videos and also our live graphic recording please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk thank you